This is Geek 4, a podcast about fans, fandom, and fan culture. I'm Dr. Michael Boyce. Everyone likes something, but what are you a geek for? Katie McDaniel is a professor of history at Marietta College in Marietta, Ohio. She's an historian who's interested in how history and popular culture intersect a scholar after my own heart. She's the editor of Virtual Dark Tourism, Ghost Roads, as well as the co-editor of Harry Potter for Nerds 2. And she co-hosts the podcast Potterversity with Emily Strand. Katie, welcome to Geek 4. Thanks. It's so great to be here, Michael. Thank you. You recently had me on and we talked about Harry Potter fandom and podcasting. So I wanted to return the favor and have you on and talk about your love of Harry Potter. Why don't you tell me, how did you get into Harry Potter in the first place? Well, thanks. It was so fun having you on our podcast. And it's it's episode 15 of Potterversity on MuggleNet. So people can tune in. I think we just had a wonderful conversation. I was telling Emily, like, we definitely, we should try to have Michael back on sometime. So anytime. That's I great. realize how much I enjoy being on other people's podcasts where I don't have to do all the prep work. <laughs> it's wonderful. There are advantages to that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. So I got into Harry Potter. Just, I think a way that a lot of people did, my aunt Marty gave me the first three books uh, as a present. And she said, you will enjoy these. And she and I uh, are similar kinds of readers. And so um, I was in graduate school at the time and graduate school is a, it's a dark place to be sometimes. And uh, these books just really were a relief. They were wonderful. Um, I just devoured all three of them. They were the only three that were out at the time. So that Mm. dates me as well. And, um, I just thought like, I think I'm attracted to the way she uses language, the way Rowling uses language, the, um, descriptions, the descriptions of the characters. And then, you know, so much of graduate school is, uh, soul depleting, (laughs) And I, thought, I, was, I remember <laughs> it doesn't, you, it's hard to shake it afterward. Uh, but the Harry Potter books were very soul restoring. There was something really meaningful. And I would say like deeply moral about them that I just really was very thirsty for at the time. Um, and so I, of course, then had to like find other people that I could talk with it, uh, talk about it with. And so I gave the first book to um, one of my friends in graduate school, Amy Sturgis. And um, she has since become like a big deal in fantasy and sci-fi. Amy's name has come up a number of times. And one day I will reach out to her. I don't know her. So I'm like a little intimidated to just kind of cold tweet her. But yes, but she would be wonderful to talk with. Uh, And she sort of taught me how to be a fan of things, you know, like I was never, I didn't think of myself as a fan of anything. And, um, I still don't really, I have a little trouble with that, with that moniker, you know, cause I just don't think of myself overtly or consciously in that way, but I gave the book to her and I knew she was big into sci-fi fantasy. And mm-hmm. I said, like, don't be turned off by the fact that these are children's books because they're really not. <laughs> and they're like, it starts with a double murder. It's seriously dark. You will you will be into this. And so, and she read it. And then of course we could get our heads together and we could talk Uh about it. And that was so, um, it was just such a nice break from having to deal with, you know, the, the difficulties of like the historiography and, you know, (laughs) finding your primary sources and dealing with your advisors and everything. And we would just get together and chat and we were able to use the 
the Harry Potter universe and the lingo from it as a way to mm. even, you know, talk about what was happening in our actual lives. So it wasn't just an escape. It was a way we could, you know, refer to, there was a she who must not be named, you know, and it was the don't let the muggles get you down kind of a thing that we would say to each other. And, and that the social aspect of it really reinforced my love of it. And it was just, it was a way to, it was a friendship bond that we created over this book. And then, like I say, she knows how to be a, a fan. And so like I would get the birdie bots, every flavor beans. And, you know, we would talk about that stuff and she was all into the stuff. And once you start mm -hmm. getting a little bit of stuff, you get a lot more stuff. <laughs> you get a lot more stuff. Yeah. And then people recognize that you like the stuff and they buy you more stuff. It's, it's a, it's a very, uh, uh, it's a dangerous road to go down, but. And Harry Potter's got a I lot of merch, you know? I was I was visiting my 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 family in southern Ontario uh, this summer, and I'd mentioned that I I'd done your podcast, um, and my my sister was like, "Oh, at the mall, there's like a Harry Potter store, and it, it's more of like a generic wizarding wizarding store, but they sell a lot of Harry Potter merch." And I it was too. I wasn't quite ready to go into malls yet with COVID. So yes. I was like, that's a gr great to know, but um, may maybe the next time I visit. Um, yeah. And I will, I, I will, I, I will admit to you that in a very recent work meeting, I referred to somebody who I have not met, but whose name keeps getting evoked as a, as my Voldemort. Oh. <laughs> um, just, you know, it was my shorthand of saying like, I'm not sure about this person. Yeah. I think it's um, been, that's one of the things that's been good about it. It's one of the premises of the podcast is that the Harry Potter books are so well known and the stories are so well known that you can use it as a, you know, a little shortcut, you know, and oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've become particularly aware, um, you know, pe people sometimes talk about their spirit animal um, in, in Canada, at least indigenous culture has really kind of pushed back against that, that that's sacred to them and please don't use it. Right. And Patronus re works really well um, as a, as a, as another way that's not culturally appropriating something that's sacred to another culture. Um, I, I've found that Patronus, uh, gets used a lot here. Now, Michael, did so. you ever do the Patronus finder on, um, it was Pottermore. Now it's called Pottermore. No, I have not. Um, I would recommend I, I, it. <laughs> I, I'm always wor worried, like, I'm going to get a lame, I'm going to get a terrible animal that I Yes. No, I was worried about that too. A slug. Yeah. My mm. friend got like a stallion. I was like, Ooh. oh, that's awesome. And so I was like, I'll do it. I'll do it. And I got it. I was disappointed at first, but now I've, I've come around to it. I got a hedgehog. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's, that's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, hedgehogs so, are kind of cute. They're, they're, they're adaptable. They're, they're yeah. wily. And they're, 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 yeah, they're tough. Yeah. Like, like I yeah. think, um, kind of cute, but prickly. I, I would, uh -huh. I would take that. <laughs> I'd take that. Mm -hmm. I believe that's what they used to call me in high school. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'll edit this part out. Um, uh, the, 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 the connecting with people is, is really 
um, important to me. It's really kind of the thing that drives this podcast, how people express their fandom. And it's so interesting how people form community around the things that they love mm-hmm. and that you and Amy could, could form that was really interesting. I am curious because I also discovered Harry Potter in grad school. I was I was probably like the third year of my PhD. So I think I was just finishing up my comprehensive exams, which for the uninitiated, you have to read a ton of books uh-huh. and kind of summarize them and write. Uh, mine was a six hour exam on them. And I was like, I just need to be done with theory. I want to read something fun. I'd heard about the Harry Potter books. And so I read them. Um, was there something about this, even though it is dark, almost idealized educational setting that appealed to you? Like you're dealing with your, like, cause you're right. Being in graduate school is like being, having your soul sucked by a dementor. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, was there something about like, this is another educational world that it's familiar enough, but like magical. So I, it appeals to me. I think that might be part of it. I, one of the reasons I went to graduate school is because I did not feel like I was done with school. You know, I was just, I wanted to keep, keep learning and I love education. I love being in an educational environment. And, you know, I just sort of realized at some point in college, I was like, I just want to stay here. (laughs) I just want to stay in school. And, um, and so I think I had, you know, you, you have a kind of romanticized idea of what that's going to be like. And so I think that's possible that, you know, there was that, that feeling of you're, you're learning something. It's still magical, but things are also difficult at Hogwarts Uh and you have, you know, difficult teachers who are unfair and (laughs) require things (laughs) of you that, you know, you don't feel capable of doing. And, you know, there's the monster book of monsters. Like I had books like that. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Very hard to corral. Got them in my office. I lug them around sometimes. Yeah. So I hate when I have to take them home. I think there might have been oh. something to that, you know, and just the um, I, one of the things that uh, we've sort of talked about, I think, on our podcast is that most people uh, who are Harry Potter fans uh, will tell you that they're a Ravenclaw. And I think it's the school orientation that we generally are yeah. people who like school and, who, yeah. you know, have school, a sort of school utopian ideal somewhere. Uh, and mm-hmm. this, it, this kind of at least plays with that idea. I also always wanted to be magic when I was a kid. Uh, those were the books that I first loved when I was, you know, 12, 13, becoming a reader. And I would just read if it had witches in it or some sort of magical. And I would sort of stare at objects, seeing if I could somehow, you know, become telekinetic. Uh, it didn't work. So what is always the fantasy? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm also drawn to robes. I mean, we sometimes refer to like convocation as Harry Potter dress up day here, Um, (laughs) you know, because I get to wear my robes. I like that. uh, Yeah. yeah. And it it covers a multitude of sins, the robe. Yes, absolutely. And stains, (laughs) (laughs) which is important. They need pockets, though. I need need pockets in my academic robes. And it seemed like... That's something that J.K. Rowling solved in the Harry Potter stories. They have yeah. pockets. Yeah, mine have pockets. Oh. oh, I didn't get pockets in mine. Yeah, had them, had it specially. Did you really? That's smart. Yes. Yeah, because, well, I used to rent robes because, um, you know, 
they're very expensive. Yeah. Uh, and then when I moved into academic administration and I had to go to other people's graduations, I made it a professional development expense. And um, I had had ropes with no pockets. I'd had ropes with the the slit that allows you to go into your own pocket, which is not bad. Hmm. And then I was like, yeah, really pockets are good. I, yeah. You know, somewhere for my keys and phone is really important. Yes, totally agree. So as, as you, as the books come out, as the films come out, like how are you becoming a more pronounced Harry Potter fan? How does Amy steal you into fandom? What are you, what, what sorts of things are you doing? Well, like I said, I think um, a fair amount of it was the merch at first, you know, and just the little, little fun things that are delightful to do. And then the fourth book was coming out. And one of the things that developed with these Harry Potter stories was, of course, that there were the book releases and Mm -hmm. the idea that you would just have like a mob scene at a Barnes Noble over a new book coming out, you know, with kids and adults and everybody's dressed up. And um, there were, you know, special, you know, they're serving butterbeer or whatever that was supposed to be. And it was just fun. It was a lot of fun. I, I, I think I told the story on your podcast where I was, I was in downtown Toronto. Um, it just happened to coincide with the day that the last book was released and like huge urban mall downtown Toronto's like really kind of big high rise buildings and all of these kids and adults in robes lined up in front of like a, a big bookstore to get the next book. It was, it was something to behold. And yeah, you're right. We get a little bit of that with film. We very rarely get that with books. Yeah. It's just, um, a, I mean, for, for somebody who is a book nerd, a geek uh, for books, that's just, I mean, I just, and there'll they'll probably never be anything else quite like that. And so you knew it at the time, how rare and unusual it was. So it was yeah. just a lot of fun to be a part of that. And um, that was the fourth book was the one that I really went all out for. The fifth book I was um, already teaching at my small, small mm-hmm. liberal arts college. And there wasn't, there's not a huge bookstore around here. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think with that one, I wanted to just have it right away. So I got it yeah. delivered to my house and with the seventh book, I just had a baby. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I just wasn't going to go anywhere. So the fourth one was the one where I really experienced, experienced all the fun of that. But um, with the movies, Amy and I went and saw the first movie together too, so that we could dish about it immediately. And one of the things that I associate with that with that occurrence where we were, you know, we watched, we watched the movie and then we immediately went to Sonic as you do in Tennessee Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. we uh, got ourselves, you know, some nice milkshakes. And then we just said all the things that we loved, that we hated. And at some point in that conversation, it dawned on me that I was going to be here for everything, Harry Potter, whether I hated it or loved it or whatever. And there were things true fan. that, yes, it drove me crazy when they didn't let Hermione solve the riddle at the end. And instead mm-hmm. she just studies, you know, she just studies in class. Like, what is that? That's not Hermione. Hermione's like cold <laughs> logic in the face of fire. Uh, and yeah. I was just, I st- obviously still annoyed by that, but I was like, it doesn't matter. I'm going to watch every one of these. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I knew it at the time. I was like, yeah. they can't mess up badly enough for me to say no about it. So that's to me, like, that's when I realized, oh, I'm just, I'm in it now. 
I'm in for the long haul. Like you are with a like chronically underperforming team. I think I said this on the, on uh, the podcast, when you came on, I used Ron Weasley's, you know, fandom for the Chudley cannons who never do well, but he's still a fan, you know, and that's, that's, I'm, I'm prepared for all of that with the Harry Potter world. Good. So like, and now it's expanded. I mean, Pottermore kind of, you know, did a lot, has done a lot. There are, you know, Rowling has expanded the world. There's the new series of films that do not have books. Where are you on these? Are you? Yep. I'm still here for it, Michael. <laughs> I'm still here for it. I, I have not, I have not delved into the, the new films. The new yet. films. Um, so I did, I enjoyed the first one, although I thought there were okay. continuity problems and I did immediately think like this should have been a book. And then somebody could have made it into a movie that made more sense. <laughs> yeah, I really, I really questioned the decision to make it just a film. Um, yeah, you know, she she's been very protective of the books mm-hmm. and Harry Potter. It's interesting. I often see, you know, the the new trailers for new movies, you know, based on the the, the beloved science fiction fantasy for kids. And I'm like, I've never heard of this before. Like, what is this world? Until it becomes a film, it's often I don't I don't know of these things because I'm I don't read children's science fiction yeah or fantasy much um harry potter seems to be like one franchise that people mostly have read the books as well as the movies Mm -hmm. that they don't skip that part Mm -hmm. um and it yeah it just was a really odd decision and then you're right like the you know the casting of an actor who's way too young to play dumbledore um yeah dumbledore should have a big beard um right and then the second one like the second one i left the movie the i left the second movie and that was like a date movie with my husband and we got three kids so like that was an important decision that we made there (laughs) and um and i left the movie and i was like i don't even know what that was that i just watched you know but I'll go see it again. <laughs> and mm. I took my older son and it made more sense the second time through, which I was assured mm-hmm. by some of my friends that it would. And, and I'm, I'm going to watch all of them. I'm going to watch Good. all of them. I I'm not, um, I guess, uh, I'm, I'm just, I've got to know what, whatever is happening. Now I haven't seen the play cursed child. I did read the, I read the book version of it, which I know is not the same at all, but I just, you know, it's a little prohibitive, the idea that you've got to go see it in New York and um, it's two days. (laughs) Like, what am I going to do that? How am I going to do that? I haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. I find the, I find the decision to do a play really interesting as well. Like, you know, the, I, I do think that not enough attention is paid to the theatrical world. Absolutely. Um, but when you purposely create a play that is so unstageable mm-hmm. by, by all but the most elaborate, technically advanced theaters that you, know, you can only do it in a couple of places in the world, um, it really becomes a, a, an exercise in limiting your, your market and, People are such passionate Harry Potter fans. It just seems very, a very curious decision. Um, but, you know. Yeah, I know. Ra- and I think, Rowling has done lots of curious things. I, I think the whole, <laughs> like, the whole magical world on stage, like broomsticks alone are a challenge. Oh, but then, I mean, I, yeah. apparently there's all kinds of other stuff that has to go on there too. And, um, yep. you know, don't, don't spoil the secrets, all that. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I think... Um, 
like it would it's a shame that like high schools can't perform it and there are these there are these kind of potter knockoffs you know that were like satirical um and puffs was one we actually talked to the people on the uh, potterversity podcast about um making the play puffs uh which Mm. like your local community theater could do this play puffs and in fact one of my um cousins my cousin's daughter um who she's got to be seventh grade maybe she was just in her school's performance of puffs and i was like now see that's an untapped market for (laughs) you know the warner brothers jk rowling what conglomerate there Uh, like like kids want to put on these plays and they'll put on the satirical one if your play is not able to be produced at the, you know, the junior high level. Yeah. Yeah. It it seems, it seems um, a strange way to prevent fans from doing things. And and, and in many respects, I feel like for all of the faults with Rowling and there are definitely things to criticize her about um, she has generally been open to fans um, kind of exploring you know, slash fiction, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like as long as you're not making money on it, she she doesn't seem to be suing people, uh, unlike the Disney Corporation. Uh, yeah, and, but, and the, yeah. the problem that's come from that has, I think a lot of it's been generated by Warner Brothers with mm-hmm. the copyright issues where, you know, the wizard store in the mall has to be generic wizard store because <laughs> they can't they can't use any of the, actual uh you know even you can't have the lightning bolt you can't use the font and uh i've also i've sort of gotten a little bit into the wizard um you know like uh festival circuit and the wizard Wizard festivals were all the rage you know maybe i don't know seven years ago or something and they were just really uh, and fun you know people make their own McGonagall wands and sell them at the festival. And, you know, you can, you know, get sorted with a sorting hat and those kinds of things. Mm. And they would put, they would drop candles from the ceiling and when in the little dining hall where you would eat and things that were just fun. And uh-huh. the, the, you know, people would get a letter from the lawyers, cease and desist. Mm. You're not allowed to do those kinds of things because they're all considered trademarked by the by the um, oh. by Warner Brothers, and I think it's kind of I don't I don't think it's very nice when you've got no. fans who are just they love it so much they want to participate. And I understand the idea that maybe somebody's making money off of the selling their version mm-hmm. of a McGonagall wand, but that's not truly in competition with Warner Brothers McGonagall wand. No, <laughs> it's and not. The the merch is the merchandising of Harry Potter uh, kind of runs the gamut from the very very high end. Mm-hmm to the, 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 the not so high end, the affordable. Um, yeah. It's not like they're taking money out of anybody's coffers to do this. No, they're not impoverishing JK Rowling or Warner brothers. No, not at all. Where's the harm? (laughs) Yeah. And then you move into podcasting and you, you have, you have a podcast on Harry Potter. So this is like, you've, you've, You've co-edited uh, the Harry Potter for uh, Harry Potter for for nerds too. You have the podcast. You're kind of intersecting your professional life with your fandom, and I'm curious about that. Yeah, now that's been. I mean, I think that's been a little bit of an oddity. 
But um, so uh, let me tell you first about an amazing fan experience that I had with my friend, sure. Amy <laughs> again. So Amy, as I said, she understands how to be a fan of things. And so she had submitted for some sweepstakes, uh, you know, mm. very low chance of actually getting anything from it. But um, the sweepstakes was to go see JK Rowling in Carnegie hall to, Ooh. and she was doing a reading and it was the first time she had ever done a reading for adults as well as children that was open okay. to adults. In fact, it was mostly adults um, who were there. And this is the famous time when she, you know, somebody asked about Dumbledore's love. Did he have anybody that he loved in his youth? And she said, well, I always thought of Dumbledore as gay. So that was the, fa- that was, that was the big moment when she mm. announced that. So, and so um, Amy won the sweepstakes, <laughs> got two tickets to go to Carnegie Hall to hear JK Rowling do this reading and answer fan questions. Um, and then you went up and you got a chance to walk walk in front of her while she was signing books and you got your own autographed copy of the last book. And, um, Amy's husband, thankfully does not like crowds <laughs> or fans or fan activities. And so Perfect. she invited me and I had just, wow. I just had my baby. He was three months old <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to say yes. I kissed the baby goodbye, <laughs> left him with my husband, boarded a plane for an amazing, like 24 hour whirlwind in New York city. And it was just, and you know, you were piled in with people who were just agog and hearing yeah. her read this portion of the seventh book. And it was the portion where Ron comes back at the, mm. um, you know, at the end he, he left and then, but he's rescued Harry from, uh, you know, as Harry was under the frozen water and Ron comes and he's got the sort of Gryffindor and he, he rescues Harry. Uh, and then they go back and then it's Hermione encountering Ron and mm. Hermione's just super angry. <laughs> and this is, this is the part she decided to read. And I can't even tell you, I've definitely listened to all the books over mm-hmm. and over again. And um, hearing her read it was totally different and of mm. course, superior just the person who wrote it, reading it, you know, I hadn't really put together how much better that was going to be. Um, but it was wonderful. And then seeing her answer fan questions and, you know, I was just, uh, I was just over the moon about that. So that's really, I would say that was peak fan experience for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And at that time uh, I had already begun my foray into Harry Potter scholarship. I was already doing that. And that started when, so I had moved here to Marietta and I had my little apartment that did not have a dishwasher <laughs> and I, I'm not domestic at all. And so to make myself do dishes, <laughs> I would listen to the Harry Potter books on tape. And yes, I do mean cassette tapes. It's <laughs> a long time ago now. Um, and I would listen to them on tape while I was doing dishes so that it wouldn't feel so onerous. And I was listening to book four, which has a lot right. of Dobby and Winky, you know, the house elves yep. and all of that. And it happened to be at the same time that I was teaching a course that I teach called European feminine, uh, European feminism and the European tradition. And it's really okay. European women's history, but with the political mm-hmm. advocacy angle on the process and I just, as I was listening to all this about Dobby and Winky and, you know, their sort of domestic bondage, I was like, this is what second wave feminists were talking about. 
And so I wrote a paper called The Elfin Mystique uh, mm. about the, you know, kind of unconscious, unacknowledged chains that bind people in domestic servitude and seeing Dobby's liberation, particularly as a story, as a kind of feminist liberation mm -hmm. um, and all the challenges that that poses, like it's really hard to be independent, self-actualized. Mm -hmm. And so I used a lot of Betty Friedan and Simone de Beauvoir. And, um, and that was nice. my first real stab at, you know, trying to connect my, you know, academic life with this mm -hmm. fan experience that I had. And I had written it for inclusion in an anthology and it got rejected. <laughs> it's like, oh no, so much for that. But then Amy, a scholar's life, <laughs> I know, uh, but nothing is ever done in vain. And Amy was doing a conference. She, she was putting a conference together on CS Lewis. And she said, I'm going to have a panel on other related authors. You should, you mm -hmm. should put in for this. And so I ended up on a panel with John Granger who was one of the very first people to uh, take Harry Potter seriously and to write about uh -huh. it from a scholarly perspective. And he also uh, was able to predict a lot of things that were going to happen. This was before the last book came out. And so I found myself, um, luckily he liked my paper. <laughs> and um, I found myself in a conversation with him and a bunch of other Harry Potter fans at this academic conference at Belmont University. And John typically we'll get like a gathering of people around him. And, um, and he, and we were just talking and it was just, it was wonderful. It was exciting, you know? And then I was able to get the Elfin Mystique published, which was great. And John invited me on the podcast that he did, which was called uh, MuggleNet Academia on MuggleNet. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, that first podcast, I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I, Michael, I'm not technologically savvy. <laughs> I used an overhead projector in my classroom, an overhead projector until oh, you're one of those they people. literally said, <laughs> they don't make bulbs for this anymore. So when this one goes, that's it. <laughs> yeah. I had to, I had to give mine away and stop using the session. I kept using them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was like, not PowerPoint, but so I'm not tech savvy. I'm not, uh, I, and I, I was like, but I thought, I'm going to try this. I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. And um, I couldn't even listen to myself. I was just mortified. And I talked to Amy, who's done podcasts. And she said, mm -hmm. oh, you didn't listen to yourself, did you? <laughs> you should never listen to yourself on a podcast. So it's good advice there from Amy. Um, yep. And uh, he invited me on a couple. And then he was looking uh, to uh, do a new podcast. And um, he was looking for somebody who would do the hosting duties. And he asked mm -hmm. me and much to both of our surprise, I said, yes. And I don't even really know why I said yes, <laughs> except I guess I have, I have fun with it. And it has just been a lot of fun. And when um, John was moving up more to doing Cormoran strike, as opposed to mm -hmm. Harry Potter, I rebooted um, reading, writing, rolling, which was the podcast mm -hmm. he and I did together for MuggleNet. And we rebooted it. Uh, Emily Strand and I, uh, created Potterversity, which is still on MuggleNet. And nice. I've gotten much better about listening to myself. <laughs> it's actually good for having some humility about yourself. You know, I, I know my tics and you know, is one it of is. Them. <laughs> yeah. I, when I was learning, you know, teaching pedagogy, mm -hmm. things like that, 
one of the recommendations was always to record yourself. Oh, oh dear Lord, no. Um, <laughs> but to record myself talking to people and then editing it, because I do everything myself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know all of my tics. I know all of the little foibles I have in my speech. And I'm not prepared to do anything about them. <laughs> I know. That's <laughs> just how it, I know. I sort of, yeah. I feel very, you know, sanguine. Sorry. It's the, it's the human condition. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. This is me. Yeah. Love me or don't. But I it, don't care. the podcasting itself, you know, I started to do, like, I went to the Southwest uh, popular in American culture conference that had a Harry Potter section and mm-hmm. is academic, right? I know how to write an academic paper and it was an academic mm-hmm. conference. And um, the way the conference worked, all the Harry Potter sessions were back to back to back. So you didn't have to choose you would just go to all the Harry Potter. So it was like two and a half days of Harry Potter. Um, And you met all the people because it was the same Mm. people for two and a half days. And just meeting those people, and I'm still friends with those people. I would say, you know, Henry Jenkins has this term that he uses um, called ACAFAN, which are Mm. academics who are fans. And that's absolutely, that is exactly what I am. And my, my, I think, pinnacle of my expression of my fandom is that I want to dissect it. (laughs) You know, I want to get into it. I want to understand it. I want to see all the facets and the different permutations and uh, to really figure it out. That's, that's how my fandom manifests mostly. And I, and then to be in in a room with other people who felt the same way and were doing the same kind of thing. And then the podcast just let me continue to do that. And there are a lot of us out there. And actually one of the things that I realized is you know, all academics are actually fans of what they do. Otherwise yeah. your life would be a misery. <laughs> Could you imagine grad school if you didn't really enjoy it? I started off in medieval literature and it was like well into my first year, like I was doing coursework and stuff. And I realized like, I'm never just going to read this for fun. Mm-hmm. I need to switch what I'm doing. And like, that was the best decision I ever made academically was to, to go and find something that I was deeply passionate about. And, right, you know, you're going to spend so much of your life doing it. And then like, yeah, I think I'm the same way. Um, I'm, I'm an ACA fan as well. Um, that the things that I really like, I delve into, like I do the subjects that I love. Um, I want to know everything I can about them. I want to pull them apart. I want to dissect them. I want to understand them. I want to see where they're going. I want to know what their influences are. And I don't write academic papers about everything, but I could. Um, I definitely have that idea. Um, and yeah, I, 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 you know, add them to courses if I can. Um, mm-hmm. You know, having having that freedom as a as an English and film studies prof, I can do television studies as a course yeah. and put TV shows that I really like on there, and you know, try to see if I can get some deep scholarly engagement. Um, and I, I think a lot of the people that I've had on, maybe it's just because I'm an academic and tend to associate with academics and draw academics in. But I think like even people who wouldn't call themselves academic, that approach to the thing that they love is still there. Um, you hear people you talk know. about baseball statistics. Uh, That's some serious yes. stuff right there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Who who won this and what position and all that stuff? Mm-hmm. It's it's the same 
it, it manifests itself very similarly, depending, you know, we don't always think of that um, as being related, the, the sports fandom especially, uh, but there are such overlaps in, in those communities and the way that people express the things that they love. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I always say with history, like if you study the U S civil war as a historian, you are a fan. Yeah. It's the same. It's yeah. the same thing. You're geeking out about yeah. it. Uh, oh, yeah. And yeah. I just, I think after graduate school and the job search and all of that, I was mm-hmm. just really burned out on, mm-hmm. you know, the history topics and the, the, my, other channels that I'd explored and the Harry Potter scholarship actually brought me back into academic life. And I Mm -hmm. left that first conference at the Southwest popular American culture conference. I left with nine ideas, nine ideas for papers. And like, when does that happen? (laughs) Not very often. (laughs) It doesn't happen. Not very often. And I felt, I felt fertile. I felt like I had ideas again, and they've not run out. I keep thinking of ideas. And um, to me, that means it's something I should be doing. Now, I already had tenure when I was started really moving in this direction. And I've had, I met with some students at Ohio State and they were like, how do I get to do Harry Potter for my dissertation? <laughs> and I was like, I don't have an answer for you on that. Um, I think it's just in terms of it being accepted in the academy, it's mm-hmm. going to be a while. Um, but I think that there are actually moves in that direction. You see people who are doing dissertations, the Harry Potter academic conference, which I started going to at Chestnut Hill college, which is, oh, that's Mm -hmm. fun. And, you know, you have people dressed in house robes and dressed like house elves and, you know, Bellatrix Lestrange who are presenting very serious academic papers, which is, which is just so much, so much fun. Uh, But they just this year for their 10th anniversary, they had as their kind of series of keynote speakers, people who had done master's degrees and dissertations with the thesis being a Harry Potter thesis. And wow, were they good, really exciting scholarship and important and um, in a variety of areas, you know, translation and like social work and psychology, as well as literature, cool stuff. And if, if you bring, if you bring that scholarly mindset to your fandom, like you can find the things to talk about. It's, it's, you know, these are rich worlds, whether it's Harry Potter or Star Wars or Star Trek or Lord of the Rings. I think people have demonstrated that they can find things to talk about in these works. I would, I, I think I would enjoy going to an academic conference where people were dressed up in other than the, you know, socks and sandals that we <laughs> Canadian academics usually get in the summer conferences. But. Right. Well, it's definitely like historians. We are, um, we, you can always pick out the historians um, and we tend toward, um, you know, for women, it's a lot of the black suit with the bright top and um the men, it's like the tweed coat kind of thing. You know, we just have our style and it's, I'm not saying it's slick, but it's not, it's not house robes either. Yeah. Style is a flexible term. That's right. right. You got to show something about yourself academically. Yeah. All right. Do you want to play a little fast four? Sure. A little, little quick response stuff? Absolutely. I'm going to ask you questions and you just, the first answer that pops into your head. Okay. Pressure's on. I'm ready. 
Is there something else that you're a huge fan of that might surprise people? Oh, yes. Romance, romance novels. All right. As the chair of an academic department yourself, which Hogwarts professor would you not want reporting to you? I'm not being fast. It's okay. This is hard. Umbridge. <laughs> How about that? I, Cause I thought Haggard first, but I think, no, I like how I could totally deal with that. Yeah, uh, a Snape would be, yeah, I couldn't. I think I could do Snape as well. Oh, <laughs> stop being abusive to your students. Well, That's not pedagogy. <laughs> we'd have to have some conversations. Yes, we would. If it wasn't a hedgehog, what would you want your Patronus to be? I think an owl. Mm, yes. And what is the geekiest thing you own? I'm not being fast again. I have a lot of okay. geeky things. I have a stuffed okay. animal Dobby. <laughs> I will count that. That works. Thank you so much, Katie, for joining me. Where can people find you on social media and how can they support your work? Well, thanks so much, Michael. I've just so much enjoyed talking with you about this. And it's made me think again about, you know, how I got here, which again, I find totally surprising in myself. <laughs> you know, um, but how nice to, to be able to have, have developed in that direction. Um, so Potterversity is on uh, mugglenet.com. And if you look under uh, MuggleNet Family, the MuggleNet Family tab, you can find all of our episodes and actually all the back episodes of Reading, Writing, Rolling are in there too. We also have a Facebook page, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, we can uh, get your emails at potterversitypodcast at gmail.com. And we love to hear from listeners and uh, include those questions and comments often at the end of our podcast uh, and use it as you know, fuel for good discussions. And so I love to hear from people. And if you like our podcast, you, know, you can leave us a review on iTunes, which is always wonderful. I do not understand algorithms, but it really it helps. helps. <laughs> <laughs> it really helps. I will link all of those things in the show notes. Wonderful. And again, thank you so much for, for taking time out of your day um, to talk about Harry Potter and your love of Harry Potter. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. And talking about it is what makes it worthwhile for me. So I, it was delightful to be able to spend some time on it today. Thank you for joining me on Geek 4. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Geek4Pod or me on Twitter at MWBoyce. If you listen on Apple Podcast, click the subscribe button and consider leaving a five-star review. Be sure to join us next time when we learn what someone else is a geek for.